Well, we are in part two of Christmas stories. Last week, we looked at this idea from promise to presence. We, we looked at the sense that, that God had promised what he was going to be doing. He promised that there would be a day that he would send someone for us. And he promised and he began to prophesy and let us know this way in advance, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And when it comes to this whole idea from promise to presence, that because of this promise, because of this prophecy, it was going to be easier for us to begin to trust and see, okay, that's God and that's what he's doing. That's what he's up to. We looked at these five things that we understand from prophecy, these major things that end up taking place when it comes to prophecy. That One thing is that prophecy, it produces expectations, that we begin to expect what's going to be taking place because it's been promised, it's been prophesied about. It's one of the things that it does, that, that when we look at this, it's also something that it offers hope to us, that it offers hope that there's going to be, oh, this is going to happen, it's going to be to our benefit, and, and it's going to be there. That Prophecy, it's another thing it does for us, is that it evokes courage in us, that, that no matter what we're going through and how difficult it might be at times, because we know that something better is coming, that, that, that this courage, that, that, that we get evoked, it gets stirred in us and have courage to get through whatever it is that, that we are going through in that moment. That another thing with prophecy is that it builds confidence. But the confidence that it's building is not, it's not building our confidence in ourselves. It's, it's building confidence in God. That, that, that as God keeps fulfilling his promises, his prophecies, that we get to see, okay, God's, God's going to do. God's going to come through. God's going to deliver. And so for us, that we get to look at this and we get to know, hey, this is going to build confidence in our God. And prophecy, the last thing we looked at that we said, hey, there's another thing for prophecy, is that it establishes proof. That because God talks about what's going to happen before it ever happens, and he gives us some specific details that it establishes proof that that was God. That, that was God doing that. That's what God has been up to. So as we looked at this whole idea from promise to presence, we looked at this, this promise, this prophecy. Over 700 years before Christ came, that there would be this light that would come. And the light wasn't this, this electric, electricity type of light. That This light was a light that was about this one who would shine and shine the way and shine the path and shine the way back to God. And, and so he gets prophesied about. And then God promises and says, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. You and Elizabeth and, and that child, that child's going to announce the way and prepare the way for the light that's going to come. And then that happened and that was fulfilled. Six months later, then Jesus gets born, and Jesus comes as the light of the world. We got to read in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and that can sound a little confusing if you're, if you're hearing that for the first time, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. If you're reading it for the first time, it can even seem even more confusing because word is capitalized. And we're like, going, why, why is this word capitalized? And it's because that word is a very specific reference, a very unique word that was used because it was referring to Jesus. And what, what, what it's telling us in John chapter 1, verse 1, is in the beginning Jesus existed and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And what that tells us is that the word isn't something that we're just supposed to live by, 
but the word is also someone that we live with, that we have Jesus, that we have Christ. And so when we look at, at Christmas, that Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises, that it is the fulfillment of a promise. And today we're going to talk about perfect timing. And with talking about perfect timing, right now might be the perfect time to let you know how you can get your set of free tickets for Christmas Eve. That we're going to be having four Christmas Eve services, 2 o'clock, we're going to go in every hour and 15 minutes, 2 o'clock, 3.15, 4.30, 5.45. Those two middle services, we're going to have child care, limited child care being offered for them. But you can get your hands on those free electronic tickets by texting the word, keyword, Christmas Eve, all one word, Christmas Eve, to 555-888. And it's going to give you a link of how you can get your tickets. Now, that child care that we're going to be providing, it's truly just child care. No programming, just child care. It's going to be for birth through three years of age. They are welcome to be in here. This will be a family-style service where everybody comes in here. But if you would like to use and take advantage of that child care, then you need to sign up for one of our two middle services and get your hands on those tickets before they go. So perfect timing. I've certainly got a story to, to tell you when it comes to perfect timing. I mean, you probably have some experiences where you go, hey, I could tell a story about, about perfect timing. And so, so for me, it goes back to a, a year ago, I, I received a, a new car. And I say I received it, it's because I, I had ordered it weeks in advance to be able to get this car. And, and so the, the story on, on the car was that one of my best friends that, that, that we've been talking and we've both been looking at the same car and, and, and thinking that we were, that's what we were going to get. And, and, and we both decided one day, okay, today's the day we're going to get this car. And so it, it, as we shared that, we said, hey, I'm going to order. Okay, I'm going to order. And, and so we do. We, so we order this car. And the car, it's a Tesla. It's a Model 3. And so, so you order these cars. So we, we ordered this car. And, and, and we ordered 16 minutes apart. It was when we completed our order, Okay. And after we completed our order, it was, uh, hey, what'd you get? And we got the same car. And when I say we got the same car, I mean we got the same car, as in his color was my color, his interior is my interior, everything, every single detail, any, any individual order that you could make on this car, we ordered the same car. It is identical. You, you wouldn't know the difference when, you, when you're looking at our cars. And so we, we ordered, we have these same cars. And so we decided that we were going to take a tandem road trip together. That, that Miri, Cheryl, and I, we took ours, and him and his wife took theirs. And so we went all the way to Key West, Florida over spring break last year. Or this year, I'm sorry. Over spring break. And so we, did, we, we made that trip. We stayed there a few days. And then he went a different way than what we went when we were ready to, to go home. And then he reaches out to me and he lets me know that he got a flat tire. He had a pothole and it just blew it. And, and so he had to go and get a spare tire because these cars, they don't come with a spare. And so it was a very big inconvenience for him and what he had to do to be able to, to get his tire. And so he's telling me, he says, Will, I, I think you ought to get a spare tire and just keep it in your car. Now, you probably know where this story is going as I'm telling you this. So, so I'm like, no, I, don't, I don't need to get a spare tire. I, I've had a car before that, that you don't have a spare on it and everything. It, it's just going to be okay. Well, two months ago, 
Cheryl and I, we coordinated to go have lunch with our kids, and we said, hey, let's meet you halfway. They're both at A&M, so we met them in, in Bastrop, had a great lunch, great conversation. We hung out about an hour after we had the food and, and just, just talked and just had a good time, and it was time for each of us to go our separate ways. And so we're, we're headed back home. In fact, we're on I-10, and we're about 15 miles from home, and the car hits a pothole. Now, when I say the car hit a pothole, I, I am. I'm passing blame. I know it. But it's easy for me to pass blame because, see, I had had my car on autopilot. And, and, and so it was doing the driving for me. And as I, as I happened to look and glance, I could see that pothole right before we hit it. And it just doesn't avoid potholes. Now, I know preachers have a reputation for exaggerating, but so I'm going to tell you, but I, I am not exaggerating what I'm getting ready to tell you. That pothole, it, it was somewhere between three and four feet long. It was about 18 inches wide, and it was somewhere between three and four inches deep. And when my car hit that, it was instant. It was just gone. My tire was gone. At that point, I decided autopilot was no longer worthy, and I took the wheel, and I pulled the car over. And as I pulled the car over, you know, I'm just going, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need? And I'm like, okay, well, Tesla, they, they have a service where you can call them, and they will bring you a loaner, not car but a loaner wheel and tire, okay? And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to call, and, and I'm going to get that. So I, I call, and, and they let me know that I'm about 15 miles away from what they're willing to do without charging me extra. Well, I'm cheap. I'm, a, I'm not paying any extra. And so they said, well, the other option is we can tow you to a tire shop, and, and we'll do that. They won't charge me extra for that. They won't tow me to them, but they'll tow me to a different tire shop. They said, but you're going to have to call around and make sure that they have a, a tire because it's a unique spec on this car. You need to make sure that they've got a tire that's going to fit it and that they're going to be willing to work on a Tesla. And so I said, okay. So I, I hung up, and I'm about ready to, to call, and it dawns on me. You know, Brett, he, he had a similar experience. So I, I decided I was going to call him and get a little lowdown. Hey, what did you do? What did you go through? What, what advice can you give me before I begin to start doing this and chasing this down? So I call him, and I'm telling him what happens, and it dawns on me, you're in town. He lives in Houston, but he was in town this day. And, and, and before I could ask him if he has a spare tire, he says, I've got my spare with me. And where are you at? And I'll, I'll bring it to you. And so He's telling me this, and so we coordinate it, and we, we hang up, and, and he's going to come. He lets me know it's going to be about an hour before he's going to get there. So, so we're hanging out. We're just chilling, and, and then it, it dawns on me. I, I've had an experience before where I, I had a flat, and that um, the, the jack that I had didn't work, and then the lug wrench that I had, it didn't fit, and so it was a big ordeal. And so I, I was like, I, I called him back, and I said, hey, have you actually used this jack? And have you used this wrench? Do you know it all fits? He goes, no, I haven't used it. He said, well, but I'll stop, pull over, and I'll make sure it fits. If not, I'll get something before I come. And so he texted me back a few minutes later and said, it all works, it all fits, we're good, and it'll give me an update on his ETA. So, so he gets there, he arrives, pulls out a spare, gets the jack out, and we start going to work. In fact, I've got a picture of it that you can see this right on the side of, of I-10, and there's our identical cars, okay? And, and, and there we both are, we're, we're, we're there. And so he's actually, if this was prayer, 
he would be a whole lot more spiritual than me because he's like fully laid out, you know, and I'm just on my knees, you know. So <clears throat> there we are. We're just beginning to take care of this thing. So we get the jack out. We jack it up. We get the lug wrench out. We, we take off the lugs and to take off the lug nuts and we pull the wheel off. We go to put his spare tire on and we go and we, we finger tighten all those lugs. We go to get the wrench to tighten it up. And right about now would be a good time to tell you that his spare that he has, it's not a Tesla wheel. It's, it's another manufacturer's wheel that fits a Tesla. And that was fine. The problem was, is that his lug wrench couldn't get inside of the opening for me to tighten the nuts. And so, and, and he was on, he was, his clock was ticking and he had to get back. And so he, he left me, he left me with his tire, he left me with the jack, I, I'm good, you know. But what do I do? And so I... I finger tighten the best that I can to be able to make my 15-mile trek. And so as I start to make this journey, you can kind of feel this. It took me an hour to go 15 miles. In my hand, these three fingers right here were bruised for three days. I kid you not. Because I would keep having to pull over and I would tighten as best as I could until it hurt. And I couldn't take it anymore. And then I drive just a little. It, it just, I just kept having to pull. Two different times, I actually jacked the car back up to reset the wheel even better and to crank it back down with my fingers to be able to make the journey. So, so my friend Brett, it, it was it was perfect timing. However, he did not have a perfect tool. <laughs> See what they, they make these thin wall sockets to where you can fit inside of a tighter opening. And, and he just didn't have this tool. It was perfect timing. It just lacked having a perfect tool. Well, we're going to talk about perfect timing, and we're going to look at how God is a perfect God. And, and, and he has perfect timing. And in his perfect timing, he delivered his perfect son. That all of this is, is what we need to know when it comes to understanding the Christmas story. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at a few different places in Scripture together. And so we're going to start in Galatians chapter 4. And just kind of a little trivia fact for you, that, that Galatians is actually the oldest New Testament book that we have. It was the very first book written for our New Testament. Now, it's not in order, so the very first book in our New Testament is Matthew, but, but it's actually the oldest book in our Bible when it comes to the, the books that are written in our New Testament. And it was a book that was written by a guy named Paul, and, and he wrote this book to help people understand the significance of Jesus, what he's done, what he's accomplished, and, and what he's laid to rest. And he's laid to rest, he's fulfilled all the requirements of the law, and so we don't have to live by the law anymore. And, and people are having a hard time getting this, are having a hard time grasping it. And so he's writing this letter, and he's already tried to explain it one way, but because he's not there having a conversation with them, he's going to try to explain it another way as well. And we're going to pick it up with this another way. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Think of it this way the way that, that Jesus sacrificed everything changed right if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had that, that, that they own it all 
they, they just can't take advantage of managing what they even own. It, it's just not there yet because they're young. And so they're just having to wait. And so as we continue to read, verse 2, they have to obey their guardians until they have reached whatever age their father set. Now, when I was in high school, I had a friend named Jeff. And Jeff's dad had died when Jeff was very young. And he had an inheritance. And his inheritance, he was able to get his hands on it the day that he turned 18. And so the day that he turned 18, he went on a spending spree that week. He went and bought himself a brand new truck, went and bought himself a brand new jet ski, bought himself a boat, went and bought himself a motorcycle. And by the time he graduated, he was completely broke. He had wasted everything. He didn't even have some of those assets anymore. He had to sell them. That, that, that for him, getting that at 18, it was a little too early. And so, you know, you might have had an experience or you might know somebody, and that's kind of what, but, but here he's writing, he's laying this case and he's saying, hey, w- when there is a benefit that comes to you because some, you're going to inherit this, if you're young, you, you're going to have to wait until the time is set that you get to take advantage of that, the time that the Father sets. Verse 3, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Now, what are those basic spiritual principles? We're born with sin. Sin separates us from God. That's it. The basic spiritual principles. We're all subject to them. We're all born with sin, and sin separates us from God. That our sin has to be forgiven in order for us to have a right standing, a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. These are the basic spiritual truths and principles of the world. And and so God laid out the law, not just a a governing law for a country, but but a spiritual and all these laws that, that we would have to live up to. And it would take living up to all of these laws in order for us to have a right standing with God on our own, on our own ability, on our own Accord. And short of that, we're going to have to have a sacrifice and get our sins forgiven. And then from that forgiveness, now we've got to try to live up to the law again. And as soon as we fail, we've got to get forgiveness again, sacrifice. And, and so there's just this pattern of what's happening. Verse 4. But when the right time came. In other words, perfect timing. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman... Subject to the law. That that when Jesus came, he he was perfect when he came. He didn't come with sin. He came, he was perfect. And Jesus is the only one who lived according to the law and never broke the law. He lived a perfect life. He was subject to the law. And he fulfilled every requirement of the law. That, That God knew that we needed an intervention. And that's why he had promised years and years and years in advance about this intervention that would come. The long-awaited one, the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus was the fulfillment of this. 
And this intervention, that, that because it was prophesied about, it's so much easier for us to be able to trust and believe that's God. That's what God is doing. That's what God is up to in his perfect timing. Verse 5, God sent him, that's Jesus, the promised one, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That he, he sent Jesus to purchase, to buy, to pay for our freedom. And how did he do that? How did he pay for our freedom? He did that with his life. By, by giving willingly and freely of his life, sacrificing his life, laying it down for us, conquering death, rising from the dead three days later. And he prophesied and told us in advance, in three days, I will be back. I will come back to life. And he let us know before it ever happened. And he did this for us. It was all about him buying our freedom. Why? Because, see, we were, we were slave to the law. So what the law did is the law showed us just how far away from God we are, just how sinful we are, just how much of a need that we have for something else to intervene on our behalf. That the law, that, that, that we were slaves to the law, it was our master, and we couldn't live up to it. And you and I live in a time that it's since Christ came, and so we've never felt that pressure of having to live up to the law the way that everybody had before Christ came. And so as we look and we see to, to understand more, that, that we need to know that, that God offered a trade-up. He says, you we can trade in our, our slave status for adoption status. That, that we can be adopted. We can be brought into God's family. Verse 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. It's this very affectionate way. And it's, it's really the best way that we could understand this Abba. Is, is, is saying it this way, Daddy. That, that is that kind of a connection that's being offered to us by our Heavenly Father, that, that He's our Daddy. Verse 7, and now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. And that faith in Christ is, is what it takes to accept and receive this adoption offer. And that we only become that, that child, that, that adoptive heir, when we're willing to receive by faith and accept this gift that is being offered to us. But see, the story didn't start here. It started much sooner. And we're going we're gonna to look at that story in Luke chapter 2. That, that what we think of when we think of the Christmas story. But I want you to see something before we actually read it in our Bible. So it's just kind of a, a heads up to know this, that two proclamations when Jesus was born. There, there are these two, we're going to read it later, but I just want you to see it before we even get to it. And one of those proclamations is glory to God. That when Jesus comes, it's, it's glory to God. And the next one, when Jesus comes, it's peace on earth. It's glory to God, and it's peace on earth. 
And we're going to see it here in Luke chapter 2, but we're going to build up to it. So starting in verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. To them, it was a night like any and every other night. They're, they're just, they're, 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 they're lambs, they're, they're sheep, they're just kind of laying, they're just kind of chilling, they're just sitting back, it's evening, and, and everything's good. That night, verse 9, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they, talking about the shepherds, were terrified. They were terrified. Then all of a sudden, this angel, it's here. And all this glory is just kind of shining. It's all around them. And they're terrified. Now, now why? Why are they terrified? They're terrified because usually when an angel is showing up, they're, they're dishing out some correction on God's behalf. That, that's usually what they're, they're correcting a, situ, a situation. And so the angels show, and they're, like, they're terrified because they're like going, what do we do? We've been caught. We've been, okay, just one They're just like, this is not good. And so the angel does. The angel shows up. And we get to see this, that the angel says this, verse 10. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. Don't be afraid. Don't be concerned. Don't be worried. It's okay that I'm here because I bring you good news. You know another way for, for, for hearing or saying good news? It's gospel. That's literally what gospel means. Gospel means good news. Gospel music, good news music, you know, gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. They're the four good news books of our Bible. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel. What else? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. That I bring you good news that will bring great joy. And this is significant to all people. See, the, the Jews, the Israelites, they kind of felt like, hey, we've got the corner on God and God's just for us. And the angel is telling these Jewish shepherds that I bring you good news and this good news is going to bring great joy for all people. This is for everyone. And so as we look at this good news that brings great joy, verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. Has been born today in the city of David. Who was David? David was King David. And, and in, of all of Israel's history, even today, the most loved king of all time has been King David. And he is born in the city of David. And that was prophesied about. That that's where he would be born. And you will recognize him by this sign. Now just imagine with me, and this might be hard because you've heard the story before, most of us. And, and this will be a sign. And so the angel's telling them how they're going to know and recognize that's the one. 
And I can only imagine that the shepherd's imagination just starts to run wild. We're, we're, we're going we're to get to see the, the most magnificent display. That, 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 that this prophecy is, is being fulfilled in, in our lifetime. And we've got an angel that's telling us, and, and you're going to know him, and this is going to be the sign, and all the things, and the big majestic, and, and all of the, the fanfare that they just begin to imagine. And before their imagination can go too far, the angel spills the beans and tells them, this is the sign, and this is what the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, just in case you don't know what a manger is, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. And the angel that's telling them, hey, the promise has been delivered. The promise is now present. And, and here's how you're going to know that the promised one, the long-awaited one, the Messiah, the Christ, is here is you're going to find this baby wrapped in strips of cloth, snugly, taking a nap in a feeding trough. It was the most humble of beginnings for the most significant one who's ever walked the earth. And that's how they were going to know. Verse 13, suddenly, the angel, that one, was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, knowing that, that Jesus, he's been delivered in the most humble of ways, it didn't stop them from praising him in the highest of ways. And, and this angel army comes in and they begin to sing and shout and proclaim. And what is it that they say? They start with glory to God in the highest heavens. Glory to God. The, the fact that Jesus is here is glory to God. That, that we need to understand that at this announcement, that those angels, they made this proclamation. Glory to God. But it wasn't the only proclamation they made. They made another one. And peace on earth. Glory to God and peace on earth. That this is what the angels announced. And when they said something about the peace on earth, this is God's perfect timing, and He's doing it in His perfect way. They say, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That when we're living our lives to, to please God, and, and, and life and circumstances get a little bumpy, they get hard, that we can still experience in an unexplainable way that we have peace no matter how difficult and hard life gets if we're living our life to please our Heavenly Father. 
And some of those bumps that might feel like we're, we're losing peace in that moment, but we just quickly begin to gain that peace back when we are living our lives to please God. And that, that please God, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a begging, please, please God. It's not a begging of something of God. It's actually what we're doing with our lives and how we are living them to please God. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when you please God, you will live with peace. That when you please God, you will live with peace. Don't, don't confuse this with going, I've got to please God in order to get to heaven. No, it's when you please God, you're going to have peace on earth. That you're going to get some peace here. We're all going to get, anybody who's trusted in Jesus, we're going to get peace for all of eternity. But if you live to please God here on earth, you're going to have peace on earth. That Jesus came, and he came, glory to God. And he brought glory to God. And he offered peace on earth to any and everyone who would live to please God. One last passage. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 9. And in Matthew chapter 5, is there, there's eight beatitudes. And we call them beatitudes because this is how you need to be, as in B-E, be. And so we have these beatitudes. And within these beatitudes, as we look and we read through them, seven of the eight attitudes that, that, that you actually, you, you, you get something. That, that, that if this is how you're going to behave, this is how you're going to act, that, that it's good, and this is what you're going to, to get. This is what's going to happen. If, if this is what you have to go through, this is what you're going to get. But only one of them is a beatitude that, that this is what you actually become. That you actually become something. And so we're going to look at, at that beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. That, that when we work for peace, the way that he defines peace, the way that he understands peace, when, when we do this, we become children of God, that we actually become something. Our perfect God, who sent his perfect son in his perfect timing, did this so that you and I and all of humanity could benefit. And celebrating Christmas is a perfect way to worship our perfect God. So it's perfect timing. But as I've related to you that, that my experience with, with a blowout is, yeah, there was perfect timing. There just wasn't a perfect tool. And Jesus came in perfect timing. And then he willingly gave his life on a perfect tool. And the angels 
They knew what was going to happen. It wasn't just perfect timing as in delivery. But there was going to be a perfect tool to redeem lives. So that everyone could be offered forgiveness. So that everybody could be offered to be adopted and brought in to God's family. And our Heavenly Father who loves us so much didn't just have perfect timing. But Jesus allowed himself to be put on a cross. It was the perfect tool to give his life to pay for that freedom, to purchase us back to God, to pay the debt of our sin so that we could have a right standing with our heavenly Father. And so Christmas, it's the perfect way to celebrate and worship what our heavenly Father has done for us. Pray with me. God, I pray that our gratitude would just grow. To God, that, that we could become more mature in our faith and our understanding of who you are and what you've done, what you are still doing for us. God, the plan that, that you have for us, that we'd be willing to follow it. God, I pray that, that we would be people, that, that we would understand the high importance of living our lives to please you, not, not to earn a position in heaven but to, to please you for the purpose of just satisfying you, the one who has given so much for us. And in doing that and in pleasing you, God, that we would be able to experience this, this peace on earth that you offer to those with whom you are pleased. God, help us to just be more mature in that faith. God, if that faith is something that's... Uh, it's just now getting started and it's just starting to, to build up and it's not even quite solidified. I pray that, that there would be that sense of crossing and stepping across that line where there would be a complete trust in you because of what you have done and continue to do for us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.